All right, so thank you for listening. You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, where we take our live show from USF Bulls Radio, and we publish it here for you to listen at your enjoyment. Um, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Bulls, how's it going? Uh, you're listening to Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. You can learn more at BullsRadio.org. It's 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon. It's sunny out, and it's warm, and I'm feeling good. I hope you are, too. You're listening to Anthro Alert. So if you haven't uh, tuned into our show before, let me tell you a little bit about what we do here. So this show is simply about anthropology and why it matters. Each week we'll discuss how anthropology is relevant, and over time we feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology here at USF to discuss their research and to have them weigh in on everyday topics and current events. We believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists and students of anthropology to better connect with the USF community and to raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. Just like every week, we like to preface our show with the disclaimer that the statements that we make and the opinions that we express here on AnthroAlert are ours and ours alone, and they do not necessarily uh, represent anthropology as a discipline, the USF Anthropology Department, USF as an entity, or student government. With that out of the way, uh, I'm one of your hosts, Spencer, and I have Renee here beside me. Welcome to Anthro Alert. It's a great, uh, beautiful day, just like Spencer said. Matter of fact, they're so beautiful, there are like uh, thousands of high school kids running around campus right now. Yeah, they're, I was surprised the amount of little ones that were around today. <laughs> I, th- I think, and I don't know, but I think it's an engineering expo that's, that's out today, that's mm. here oh, on campus. Huh. I've noticed that... On several occasions, there are high schoolers, and even it seems like middle schoolers around here. So it seems like there's a lot of activities that, that USF hosts for younger students, which is great. That's that's right. Start them young. Go Bulls. <laughs> we need to have a – well, yesterday, speaking of expos, didn't we have an anthrop- anthropology-type expo? We had uh, Anthro in Action Day was not yesterday. Was Tuesday, right? No, no, or it was, was yesterday. it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. Okay. Did any? I was in class. Did anybody go to that? Oh yeah. No, I didn't go. No. Uh, just me. Look at that. Just you. Twenty-five percent. Uh, yeah. So um, you guys just heard Alex speak. He was on here uh, a few weeks ago. And say hi, Alex. Hello, everybody. Yeah. So he Happy will be, be here, here uh, guest hosting. And then our guest today is Gabby. Hello, everyone. If you guys have listened to the show in the past, you might remember that she was on with Dr. Wells. They were talking about some environmental-type things, and we will be doing that as well today. Uh, back to anthropology in action. Alex, how, how was that? How did it go? It was good. I mostly just went to listen to people I already know speak, so I just kind of okay. jumped around from room to room. They, kind of, they fill um, basically all the rooms downstairs. Um, had a different speaker and different topics, so it was, it was pretty cool. Nice. Um, so they, they're, they're just preaching to the choir. You already sold on them. <laughs> well, yeah, for me, yeah. <laughs> well, that was it was actually my sampling. I already went to people that I. Oh, okay. Um, but they had one room would be all archaeology for an hour, and then another would be you know development or. They what was attendance like? Was it? I mean, where there's a pretty good. Attendance. It seemed pretty good. Okay. Yeah, I would say I mean, one of them at the end was like every, there's people were standing because we weren't have to see. So you know. Oh wow, standing room only. Better than that, yeah. That's the dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> Started a mosh uh, pit down in the bottom of it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's hopefully it's not a fire hazard. 
now. It probably was at the time. Probably, but, yeah. Um, yeah. That's so it's a price you pay for knowledge. <laughs> we get we get wild. That's, yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. So Anthro in Action is like a little mini anthropology conference that the anthropology de- the Department of Anthropology here at USF puts on, and and basically it's it's different little mini sessions where faculty and graduate students um, just talk about some of the projects and the work they're doing. Yep. I mean, trying to recruit those undergraduates. Yeah, right. really, exactly. Just trying to yeah. get more people interested in yeah. in what anthropology is all about. There are even there were even several um, prospective graduate students uh, who were just you know visiting and trying to trying to see what we're all about. Mm-hmm. And I told them mm-hmm. when I talked to them later, I told them this is what it's about. Look at him laying it down. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. right here. They also gave extra credit to people taking oh. it as general ed, just to kind of pad the rooms. Oh. A lot of kids in there they were taking like general. Anthropology classes get a little extra. Yeah, but there were a lot of prospective students. A lot of the questions were revolved around that, and a lot of the presentations are very digestible, very approachable yeah. examples of practicing anthropology. Which is good because that also like challenges the presenter to kind of like bring their research down to, to you know a different level. And to be honest, I I probably enjoy it more too because sometimes some things can get so esoteric in anthropology yeah, that right. some people, if they probably given their you know, dissertation version, I would probably be a little trying to catch up, but these were yeah. really nice, nice to listen to. Yeah. All right, so for today's show, like like we mentioned, we have Alex um, here on the show, and he is a Ph.D. student um, here at Anthropology. First year studying, what do you do? You know, let's not get turtles. that. Turtles, there's turtles. That turtles, there you go. There were sea turtles. turtles. There's sea turtles at one point, that was, yeah. a, that was a thing. Um, but our uh, we're, we're actually going to be talking about uh, Gabby, about your research, and you're a master's student here, you know, just about finishing, wrapping it up, you know, the last couple of punctuation marks on that thesis. Yep. Uh, so we're talking about the, the project that you've done. Um, and let's let's get into that. All right. Um, yeah, so, Gabby, we sort of breached this topic last time you were here. Um, but I think mainly Dr. Wells talked last <laughs> last time, and you got a few words in there. Um, but mainly we're going to be talking about brownfield redevelopment. Um, can you kind of, I guess, give us a, a recap and explain to us again what, what brownfields are? Yeah. So, um, so we're looking at the EPA definition of brownfields, brownfields are just really um, any type of property that has issues with redevelopment, challenges with redevelopment because it's perceived or real um, um, ideas of contamination that surround it. I mean, this could be anything from seeing solid waste of just garbage um, in a property. It could also be anything from industrial manufacturing um, that results in, like, chemical contamination of the land. Um, but really, what's really fascinating about brownfields is that that perceived aspect of contamination, um, which is really different when it comes to environmental, the, the field of environmental anthropology, because a lot of the times when it comes to um, health impacts of contamination, brownfields is very unique because it has that perceived aspect. It doesn't have to have like a correlated, you know, correlation and causation kind of proof that there's health impacts. It's just if it's perceived um, you know, environmental impacts, then, then it's considered a brownfield. It's interesting with perceptions, too, because perceptions are different depending on who you ask, right? So a community could perceive something as contaminated, whereas maybe, like, a government entity could perceive it as, like, I mean, no, it's fine. Like, 
Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, and that also contributes to kind of some of the challenges around brownfield redevelopment um, is kind of, you know, that balance between authoritative knowledge, such as institutional organizations, like, you know, talking about government, EPA, local level government, um, and then um, kind of that, you know, that juxtaposition paradox between that authoritative knowledge and local knowledge of residents that, um, you know, they see pre- contamination and they may see it as something different than what is defined as contamination at a government level. Mm. So you're working with brownfields, particularly in the Tampa area, and you're, you've done your project in conjunction with uh, another organization, or I guess collaborated with another organization, right? So the University Area Community Development Corporation, is that right? Yes, that's, that's correct. Um, the University Area CDC um, is is it's really a great organization and um I've been very fortunate to work with them and and they've really served as kind of like that catalyst organization to put me into the community and and help me build community connections that would be much more difficult for me to do as kind of an outside researcher um but the UACDC is a, it's a 501c3 nonprofit organization and it's really been kind of um it's actually coming up on its it's this year is the 20th anniversary of its uh conception so this is a really exciting time for them and over the last 20 years they've done some really uh fantastic growth w- within themselves as an organization but also within the community um and that's really fantastic because when you look at other CDCs community development corporations you know, in Florida in general, or even uh, within the United States, you know, um, unfortunately, when they do kind of start out, they really struggle, and sometimes they just fall apart. They don't make it. So for the UACDC to be so successful and to still be um, operating and organized and and really, honestly, um, on this this exponential curve of growth lately um, has been really um, fantastic. Um, And and historically, it came from... um, it started in 1998 when the, uh, I, th- I want to say it's the university area, I can't remember the acronym anymore, but it was a, a few community organizations that kind of partnered together and decided we want to create one uh, nonprofit organization to really function as a way to serve the community in an extremely important kind of root cause mitigation type of ways. Um, and, and that really means that means everything from building affordable housing to providing educational programs to um, just providing a wealth of resources, especially through partnership with other organizations within the community. And um, I'd say they, you know, for being around for 20 years, they've really been doing an exceptional job with growing. And I think definitely within the last year that I've been doing research with them, uh, they have definitely proved that they are continuing to grow um, and really, really. F- filling in that role as being a catalyst organization to help perpetuate, you know, redevelopment and regrowth within the community. So they address other issues besides, like, brownfield redevelopment and things like that? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, actually, the, the brownfield redevelopment that they're working on is very unique. Um, it's not something that's seen in other community development corporation models. Um, so they're really um, one of the first and hopefully many that are um, kind of retake taking over this environmental redevelopment kind of aspect in, in community development corporations. But um, aside from that, they have a variety of programs um, within their main community center. It's, uh, for those of those listeners that are in the Tampa area, it's located on 22nd Street in the university area. Um, 
but they they have all kinds of programs. They have a community center with basketball courts. They have education programs for uh, GED and ESOL, English um, education. Um, they have arts and music programs for children in the community. They have summer camp programs. Um, and most of their programs are either free to community residents or they are very, very low cost. So it makes them... Um, it, it really provides like that opportunity for residents to be engaged, to have access to kind of different social opportunities, um, to be able to kind of have a very va- you know, have valuable aspects in their life. And then on top of it, they have other programs like affordable housing. Um, they own two properties that are rental units that they rent to, uh, community residents. And then they, um, they also are working on some land banking efforts to, to build some more housing for single family, um, housing units. So they're kind of they're very holistic. They try to kind of address a little bit of everything. Oh, okay. So what's the um, so you mentioned this is kind of a unique model for a CDC. What's like the typical <clears throat> model for a uh, community a community development corporation? Um, I it, it, I'd say um, you know every CDC is a little bit unique, but a lot of times the focus is on economic development. So. Um, so in the case of the University Area CDC, they're focused on uh, redeveloping a brownfield into a park, into a like a green space park, is is very different in some other cases. Like if a, another CDC would be in their place, perhaps instead of you know redeveloping this property into a park, they might redevelop it into some type of economic um, type of situation, maybe like putting a grocery store in or something like that, something um, that doesn't really, f- that isn't quite as environmentally focused um what's the name of the park um that's harvest hope park and does this park like already like exist as a space or is it like where where how far along in that redevelopment transition is it Mm -hmm. so um right now it's kind of we're in the thick of it um really and the property was originally purchased by the community center in 2014 from Hillsborough County. It was originally the uh, police athletic training field for the Tampa Police Department. Um, So as it, once the Tampa Police Department stopped using the property, it kind of just, people used it informally. They would walk their dogs or maybe just kind of sit outside. Um, It was also used as kind of a little social hub um, in some ways, but um, the UACDC has now come in and started redeveloping it into a little bit more of a formal park. It's still used in some very informal ways, but um, there's been four phases of kind of like four phases outlined for the redevelopment of this park. And um, the first phase was really just purchasing the property. And there's a there's a small building on the property that has been redeveloped into a demonstration kitchen. And that demonstration kitchen is used in conjunction with a community garden that's been built on the property um, that has community garden beds, and they plant everything that you could ever imagine um, seasonally all year round. They have banana trees, they have okra, I mean, like everything you can imagine, tomatoes, um, all kinds of lettuce and kale and, you know, all across the board, all kinds of veggies um, that they grow and produce there. Um and that's kind of been like the first phase of the project. And and so the second phase, um, unfortunately, the phases were kind of outlined in certain ways, but because of bureaucratic processes of trying to get permits and everything else, um, the timeline is kind of, it's kind of gets a little disrupted. So the second phase really involved um, building the Kaboom Playground, um, which was a really big effort. The UACDC 
received funding um, in conjunction with uh, Bank of America and the Tampa Bay Race Foundation in order to um, get Kaboom Playground, which I don't know, some listeners may not know, but Kaboom is a is an organization that helps to build uh, playgrounds that are designed by community members within underdeveloped communities. So um, the opportunity for the UACDC to work with Kaboom has been really fantastic. And um, residents were able to be engaged in the development process and and determine what kind of aspects they wanted to really see in their park. Even children were literally, it was kind of like a design charrette where children um, sat down and, they got to draw all kinds of pictures of everything they wanted to see. Um, so that's kind of like the current kind of phase that we're in. In November, there was a, a build day where community residents and all kinds of volunteers from Bank of America and Tampa Bay Rays came out and, um, and myself included and some other university uh, uh, Department of Anthro students and Christian Wells was out there and we all came together really as a community and within partnership as a university too with the UACDC to build this park um, and then future development of the park is going to implement different types of infrastructure you know adding lighting adding sidewalks um, there's quite a bit of like uh, foliage and fauna in there and I think that's going to be kind of part of the aspect that the UACD wants to keep um, but then there will also be integrated uh, outdoor workout equipment, and there's a pond on the property that they're going that they're going to try to kind of uh, remediate to some extent in, in order to try to hopefully make that into a, a fish pond. Um, so really, the the main focus of this development is around providing safe space for children to play and opportunities for access to fresh foods. Um, and and in order to kind of build a sustainable self-reliance for residents. Great. I think that's maybe a good place to stop for our first music break, and then when we come back, we'll continue talking about uh, Gabby's project. Hey, Bulls, you're listening to Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and always streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. We are back talking with uh, Gabby about her research on brownfield redevelopment um, at Harvest Hope Park here in Tampa. And we're going to just dive back into the conversation. I think Alex had a, a question he'd like to bring us in with. Yeah, I was just I was kind of wondering, it, um, on the last little bit, we were, you kind of overviewing the CDC. They've been there for 20 years, and they're doing this work within the community. But I was wondering maybe if you could speak to the nature of the community itself and why um, although you said a number of community groups came together to sort of create this CDC and stuff, but what were some of the pressures um, that required a CDC to come together and then maybe why they – it sounds like we're talking about this park. Um, so, you know, what, what brought about this park specifically? Yeah, that's a, um, a really important question. Um, and I think a lot of what really answers that is just looking at the kind of demographic composition of this community – um, and historically, the university area was um, originally USF students living in the area. So a lot of the um, residents there are kind of apartment-style, dorm-style living. Um, and then in the late 18, or 1980s and the 1990s, um, you started seeing more students moving out of that area, moving to the northern and western or eastern side of the USF campus. Um, and that resulted with uh, a lot of those dorm rooms being kind of converted into, like, really small multifamily homes um, that provided really cheap, affordable housing for individuals that are kind of of lower economic status. Um, and so now 
what the university area really um, has kind of been described as is uh, a really low economic status community, very high minority population. Um, <clears throat> and so it's it's kind of plagued by these um, really unfortunate kind of demographics that we don't really like to see in communities. Um, and unfortunately, um, just kind of looking at some of the numbers uh, that I have here on demographics, you know, the population density in this area is extremely high. You have about a little over 5,000 people living in one square mile. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a large amount of people in one area. You also have like 61% of the population is minority. That's um, African-American, Hispanic populations. Um, and then you have the, the when you look at the social the socioeconomic side of it, um, the per capita income is literally eighteen thousand dollars a year. Um, that's that's less than half of Hillsborough County as a whole. Hillsborough County is around like um, fifty or so, fifty thousand dollars a year. So so when you're really looking at this area, it's again low uh, low socioeconomic status and extremely high minority populations, and then. Um, when you combine that with some of the environmental impacts of the community, um, surrounded by you know hazardous waste facilities, um, a, um, a high exposure rate to uh, diesel particulate matter and small per- particulate matter, um, lead paint hazard exposure, you know, cancer risk, all those kinds of things, this really is a, a perfect case example of environmental justice when looking at this community. Um, and in, on one side, it's it's really frustrating and, and, and heartbreaking to kind of see that. But at the same time, the UACDC and the organizations that came together to create the UACDC saw this as an opportunity to um, and a place to really make some change um, for these individuals and in this for, for this community. Um, Where is uh, Tampa City in all this? Um, oh, that is a really great question, and that that really leads to some of the challenges faced by this community. Is that they are this area is not considered um, Tampa City. It's outside of the city. It's actually considered unincorporated Hillsborough County, which means that they are not um, they cannot receive any type of support from the city. They have to go to the county level, Hillsborough County level, in order to receive services um, and and funding and and. Um, you know those types of you know. Now, when you say though they're outside, they're not geographically outside of the city boundaries. Correct, correct. correct. They're, they're not actually geographically outside. It's it's very odd because um, you have Carrollwood and Lutz and all these other um, small communities that surround the university area that are considered you know within Tampa but then you have this little island that is the university area sitting within this that geographically lies within city um, boundaries but is not the city doesn't really want to have any type of control over that because uh, because of the demographics that we talked about so the CDC kind of was then an assessing almost filling the role that maybe a, a, a local city municipality would would yes yes especially because a lot of these residents um are really politically strained they don't they don't have the resources they don't have the education they don't have the um the ability that agency to reach out to um hillsborough county level you know governance and ask for money and funding and services within their community so um currently the uacdc kind of serves as that kind of that middleman for that and and the goal and the hope is really that um, one day the residents won't need the UACDC. They'll mm-hmm. have that agency built up. They'll have those skills and those resources to be able to, to speak their own voice for themselves. 
And so what brought about this, uh, the park project? I know they've been around for 20 years and probably had a lot of projects, but what brought about this park project that it sounds like you primarily have worked on? Yes, yes. So this is, this is a really new project. Um, the UACDC has worked to do redevelopment projects um, in the past, such as, like, 22nd Street. They, they put in bike lanes. They put in, like, you know, little bus pull-in areas. Um, they put in sidewalks and street lighting, you know, everything like that. But this project is, um, is really something new in the fact that it, it challenges environmental issues in the community. It challenges that environmental injustice um, characteristic that we see within this community. Um, but then on top of it, um, I think the UACDC came to a point where they realized that residents really just wanted a safe place for their children to play and be active and be children. Um, Because in the university area, there are no parks. There are no formal parks where children can go and play. The only parks that are really available are in um, apartment complex areas. Um, They're very limited and, you know, public, I'm sorry, uh, public residents cannot, don't have access to that. Um, And unfortunately, in 2014, a young, a six-year-old boy was playing in the street on his scooter, and he was hit by a vehicle, and he was killed um, right outside of the park. And I think that was kind of really that first kind of push for the UACDC to say, this is is a real issue in our community, and we need to be serving our residents by, you know, giving their children a safe place to play because we don't want to see these type of fatalities happen again. So I think that was really one of the big pushes – to really make some change and create safe place and space. So part, well, part of your project is actually looking at community engagement and things like that. Uh, correct. So I think you had mentioned that there was kind of a lack of community engagement when working on these redevelopment sort of sustainability type projects. Why, why do you think that is? Um, yeah. When you historically look at just the university area in general and you look at, um, you know, like, neighborhood uh, community groups and organizations uh, there's just been a lack of community engagement you know community Mm -hmm. residents don't show up to meetings um, and I think again the demographics kind of speak to this and it's something that um, I know within the UACDC we kind of talk about the fact that these residents function in what's called like a survival mode Um, they're worried about being able to provide, you know, food and clothing and necessities and housing for their children. And before those needs can be met, they they don't have the time, the energy, and the resources to be able to contribute to that community development. So um, in a way, the UACDC kind of combats that by kind of working through some, like, kind of root cause mitigation in a way, like like I said, through affordable housing um, in that way. So can you speak, sorry, that term root uh, cause mitigation, I think. Intuitively, we can say, okay, so we're saying that there's some problems in the community and there's some basic drivers of that. Um, so you've mentioned housing. Was it, is there other things that they're kind of what, – what did, what do they, how do they define that and then what are, how are they dealing with some of those? Yeah. Um, so looking at root cause mitigation, obviously, um, housing is an issue. Um, education is a large issue. Um, only 20, like less than 22% of individuals actually have a high school education within this community. And that's a big deal. That's why the GED program is, is a pretty big program within the UACDC. Um, so lack of education, lack of the ability to find employment, um, 41% unemployment rate, um, you know, kind of contributes to that too. So when you put all these demographic, these demographic characteristics together, it's really this kind of trifecta of, of just um, 
just a really tough situation for these individuals to be able to find jobs, keep jobs because of lack of education and be able to, you know, afford housing because of, you know, unemployment and, um, and those kinds of those characteristics. And, and sorry, and, and not only that, but I mean, you mentioned, because uh, you were presenting somewhat uh, on a, a class that I was in with you a few uh, days ago, but um, also looking at like, uh, so, so, so education, um, um, cost of living, and then d- just transport or en- unemployment rather, and, and so transportation to employment, because um, you mentioned that uh, bus routes in that area have have been taken away or changed. So uh, living in that area and being unemployed, like how it's just it's like a, a stacking of factors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that was uh was something I forgot to write in my notes today. But um yeah, on top of just having a hard time getting employment and keeping employment because of education, um unfortunately heart um you know, received funding cuts within the last year and they had to um uh, take all the bus routes out of the university area, which is very odd because honestly, the university area is probably the most needing community for those types of services. Um, so now, uh, instead, sorry, of, real quick. And so, Hart is like the the bus organization. It's yeah. like Hillsborough area like regional system. Yeah, yeah, system, yeah. yeah. So, um, unfortunately the bus system has been cut out of the university area. Now it, it actually goes around the community, but it doesn't go through it. And, um, Oddly enough, Hart tried to hold a community um, kind of meeting before these decisions were made, um, and they came. They held a meeting at the community center, and they were very confused why no residents showed up to the meeting. Well, it was also the day of the meeting was actually um, it was a very rainy day. It was like pouring down rain all day. Um, most of the residents don't have vehicles, and um, you know, they don't want to walk to the community center when it's pouring down rain. But then the heart, you know, the heart representatives, you know, were just like, I don't understand why community residents are here. And then it's just kind of like, a well, if you look at kind of like these root causes, the fact that they don't have cars, the fact that they have to walk, the fact that there's a lack of sidewalks and infrastructure within mm-hmm. the community, of course, they're not going to show up. You know? Sometimes we that can get referred to as the third shift, mm-hmm. um, where uh, in communities that uh, might require some amount of community engagement. If you think about it, like realistically, a lot of people, depending on your community, you probably don't have to do that much. I know I don't. No one comes by and asks me anything. Things just work, and I get up and I go to work and I come home. So there's this notion of a third shift where a community has to deal with family and jobs and these survival modes that they're in, but then we're also asking the the, the communities with the least resources to devote the most amount of energy to in order to get these things they want. It kind of creates that. seems seems like that's maybe what Hart was missing, is understanding that, like, you're asking a big ask, really, of a community that has lower resources that you didn't go around any other communities asking this. You know? Yeah, I think that's a really that's a really great explanation on that. Um, and I had this interest during the practicing anthropology Yesterday, we were, uh, Christian gave a smaller presentation on this area, and someone brought up this – I didn't catch her name, but she mentioned dollar buses, where she was from, where areas that uh, didn't have public transportation. This is certainly true. Um, I've lived throughout the Caribbean, stuff like that. They'll do the same kind of thing where there'll be a buses that you just jump on for a dollar. It's like a van, and they just drive around and in the circle, essentially, around. So it, it, it was an interesting proposal for this area where they could basically just drive around this – um, the UA um, just for a dollar a pickup and then take you to where you could get to a bus. And it might be an interesting little micro economy inside of there. Yeah, mm. I like that. I've Outside never heard of, of that. an Uber or something yeah, like that. That's a really that. interesting yeah. idea. Hmm. 
I've never I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Wow. So like their main purpose is to take people to bus stops or like other means of transportation. Or if it's just sh- yeah, if it's short trips, oh, like short it's just trips, essentially okay. it'll be so van like cycles one area. Yeah, okay. and you're not going to be able to load thirty people into it. It's just you yeah, know, right. a handful of people at a time, and and you just kind of drive around, so you're not going very far, and um, really it just gets people into where they can enter the rest of civilization. That's got Great. these sort of infrastructure set up for them. That's really interesting, huh? It'd be a really neat thesis project if you right. could find yeah. one of those. Because <laughs> that was, and so that would be another thing. I guess I was wondering, um, in terms of next, a lot of urban environments suffer from this notion of having to ch- of gentrification. Basically, is where I'm going to go with this. But they um, they suffer in terms of that they are deemed um, undesirable as obviously the city doesn't want anything to do with them. And is there um, a concern that as you develop sort of, especially basic infrastructure stuff, like having nice parks and things, um, which don't necessarily comprise of jobs or these other things, um, and these other, some of these other root causes it doesn't address, but it does address the, the value of the area. And does that sort of seed gentrification where now it's seen attractive by other people as it's not coming? And since home ownership is so low, that there's not a lot of bargaining rights for local residents to stay when those types of things happen. Is that a concern that anyone's talking about, or is that... Yeah, um, I I noticed um, in my resident interviews, uh, most residents didn't really uh, talk about that, and I I honestly can't really speak to why, but um, I do know that UACDC staff are definitely kind of on their toes with that, and they unfortunately there there are kind of already some characteristics popping up of, of signs of gentrification. Um, one example is um, the UACDC has been buying property um, for affordable housing, and you know when they first started this initiative, I'd say about maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, maybe. Um, the first property they bought was maybe like $30,000. And now, you know, surrounding properties um, in that area within the last six months have just jumped to about $85,000. So we're already Mm -hmm. kind of seeing um, that gentrification where land values are already kind of rising. Um, But, you know, with some of the literature that I've looked at, um, there's a couple of things that university, you know, the university CDC can do. And one of those things they are doing, and that's what I said about um, buying up properties, and that idea is called land banking. Um, so what it, how it works is the CDC buys up various properties, and their goal right now is to buy up properties around the park, which kind of makes sense because that's where kind of the development is really starting. That's the heart of it all. Um, and so the idea is as they buy some of these properties, some of them will be redeveloped into different um different things i'm not quite sure what some of their their goals are right now but i know um some of it like i said is affordable housing um and that affordable housing that there there's two properties specifically right now that they're looking at um and they're going to be putting um it's kind of like a modular home but it's a little bit more permanent than a modular home it's kind of it's very different kind of concept um but the idea is there's two um single mother families that um I think they have them set up already that um, they'll be living in, in these on these properties and it'll be a rent to own situation. Whereas they pay rent over time, um, they'll be paying off kind of the mortgage for their home. Um, and it, in so many years, the property will be theirs. So the idea is within this land banking and affordable housing program, um, even though the UACDC is buying this property, it's kind of like this place making um, attempt to be able to have residents gain ownership Mm. over properties around the area so i think um 
that's that's one way that kind of combats that environmental gentrification. Um, there's other ways to do it, but I think that's kind of like the main uh, way that the UACDC is really kind of combating that right now. Do you now. know how they're – I guess I'm curious if residents can't currently afford something to, to, to buy it. I, I guess I'm curious as to how they're going to structure that economically that they would – Resident would suddenly are they subsidizing a portion of the housing costs that the residents can buy it, but at a at a diminished price, um, or, or just the cost of construction, or something? Or um, I think part of it is kind of yeah, like that subsidize subsidizing aspect of it, but a lot of it's through kind of like grant funding. Um, that's really beneficial. Like funding for the CDC is really really important, um, and I think that's part of that. That I have to admit, they are very good negotiators. Um, they try to get the best deal that they can on land and on um, on you know finding the best model homes that are going to be sustainable and long lasting, but also affordable, so that you know the end cost for these residents you know is isn't anything more than maybe seventy five thousand dollars or something like that. It's it's much more affordable than um you know and 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 of course the um sorry i just lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh my gosh well, well that's okay let's, let's um so let's let's think about um answering that a little bit in more detail we're gonna take a little short music break here with uh usf bulls radio uh we'll be back very very soon it'll be like like we just like left and came back it'll be so quick all right but uh stay tuned so for the past 45 minutes, we've been speaking with Gabby about her research um, at Harvest Hope Park um, and the Tampa area talking about community or sustainability, brownfield redevelopment, sort of the economic challenges that the community area development uh, corporation has had um, and sort of the hardships that this community has, has uh, been experiencing recently. And so um, right now, we're going to transition into the second hour of our show. And so previously we've had two separate guests, but today it's all about Gabby and we'll be <laughs> having a, a part two of her research. So she's going to be sticking around um, and talking about specifically sort of the community engagement aspects of her research and also sort of the outcomes and the results of, of her thesis project. So make sure to stick around for that because I know it's going to be interesting. Uh, it's going to be very engaging. And also, if you have any questions from part one, please go on um, or hit us up on Twitter at AnthoAlert and you know shoot us that question along there, and we will make sure to answer it. Um, until then, please stay tuned. We're going to transition into some music, and we will be back um, around 3 o'clock, 3.05. So stay tuned. All right, so let's see. Bulls Radio WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus and streaming worldwide live and on the scene 24-7 at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. Uh, this is Anthro Alert, the the live radio show podcast video thing on uh, Bulls Radio. So you can learn more about Bulls Radio at BullsRadio.org. You can always check out Anthro Alert at AnthroAlert.com or on Twitter at AnthroAlert. You know, send us a text message, 802-552-4487. Call the show with your questions, 813-974-9285. You can, um, you can, you can contact us on anthroalert.com as well. There's a lot of ways to get in touch with us. Um, we just want to talk to you. Yeah. Don't, be, don't be scared. So, so on this hour of Anthro Alert, we, our guest is a um, master's student 
of Applied Anthropology here at the University of South Florida, Gabrielle, Gabby, uh, Lehigh. Yes. <laughs> I was like, so I knew that's what it was, and I just panicked for a moment. But, um, so Gabby is a master's student here at the University of South Florida. Her research topic is looking at brownfield redevelopment. Brownfield is just like an EPA term that describes um, designated geographic areas as uh, polluted or contaminated, and um, brownfield redevelopment is the idea of redeveloping those things, transi- transitioning them into other uses. Um, yes, yeah, so think of like going brown to green. Yep. Not that there's anything wrong with brown, but <laughs> that's just, I mean, that's just the terms yeah. that we're using today. Yep. Um, Gabby, real quick, are you are you cultural track? Yes. Or, okay. Hi. Right. Yeah. I didn't know if you were archaeology or cultural. Yeah. I assumed cultural. Cultural. Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, so this is part two of our conversation with um, with Gabby, and uh, we've been talking a lot about her research, looking at that brownfield redevelopment here in the city of Tampa, but not actually the city of Tampa, the unincorporated. University area that is like Tampa kind of just doesn't consider that part of the city, um, and that's that's complicated. And um, you just listen to the first hour, and you get you get the <laughs> gist of that. But so her research is looking at yeah again brownfield redevelopment at uh, what's the name of that park Hope? Harvest Hope Park Harvest Hope Park. Um, so when really the next thing for us to kind of look at is asking about the community engagement. Um, that was something that we were talking about, again, on the previous hour. But we we really kind of want to ask more, or I, I'm interested more in asking questions like, well, how are you, like, how is your thesis work? How is that influencing or affecting, impacting community engagement? You know, wh- what does your involvement here, like, how does that apply into community engagement? Okay, so um, during my time with uh, working with the University Area CDC, um, I worked with their community outreach coordinator, Diana Diaz, um, and I also uh, was a member of their COC, which is the Community Outreach Committee, and that's really kind of like their um, their core uh, group that really goes out into the community and tries to engage residents. So I kind of that's where I really started. Um, and I, you know, I just started with going out in the community, handing out flyers for uh, different community events, um, <clears throat> informing residents of different, um, you know, events going on at the park, um, encouraging residents to come into the community center and check out all the programs that are available. And then um, kind of how my research really kind of played into that and evolved into that is I kind of, in a way, I kind of piggy- piggybacked off of some of those events to really just kind of connect with residents, talk to them. Um, create what we call an anthropology, what's called rapport with them, you know, creating kind of like a relationship with them. Um, and initially my methods for my research were, um, you know, participatory kind of research, but then I also had an aspect of photo voice, which was really kind of the biggest, um, engagement piece of my research. And unfortunately, um, like many things in anthropology projects, things don't always, uh, pan out the way you'd like them to. And, um, the photo voice project did not, really work out i only had a few participants actually i I literally had one participant give me a camera back Mm -hmm. um so real quick just could you kind of clarify 
what that is and then what you did when you say did you hand out uh, yeah that's a, like what, what, what yeah that's a great question sometimes I forget that not all <laughs> all listeners are uh, are anthropology like us um, so photo voice is a method um, it's a social science method where um, you hand out cameras or you allow residents to take pictures um, of different things and in, in my case I was asking residents to take pictures of their environment and I particularly wanted them to take pictures of things that they saw valuable in their environment or things that they wanted to see changed in their environment um, in a way to kind of identify how they interact with their environment um, you know how do they define pollution how did they define you know define what what's like a green space a health space for them and their children and their families um, so that was kind of the goal. I handed out disposable cameras to multiple residents, um, and and much like we've discussed before, the the community engagement aspect of it was definitely on the lower end than what I expected and that I really wanted to see. Um, but of course, that's always a lesson learned. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, I'd like to use that method in the future somehow. I don't know how I'm going to incorporate that and and how I'll learn from some of those challenges. Do you think maybe it was your time within the community? Like, do you think maybe if you had more time to form relationships, people would be more willing to sort of participate in in photo voice or in your research? Yeah, I think um, I think that's definitely one aspect w- is time. Um, I'm thankful that I was I've been involved for about a year. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of it, it will be about a year and a half. Um, but still, it seems like a long amount of time. But uh, there's still plenty of you know time and, and and availability to kind of extend those relationships. They have so much more that they could really grow, um, that would really benefit using that method. Um, and then on top of it, like um, we talked about before, but just you know some residents are in that survival mode. They have more important things to really worry about than mm-hmm. taking pictures with my camera. And and I understand that. Right. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of um, one of the engagement challenges that I really kind of faced in this project. Were you trying to uh, mostly adults then in terms um, of the photo voice? Y- yes, just because um, when I went through the IRB process, and for those of you mm. that um, that don't know about the IRB process, it's a review process that we had to go through in order to do um, research on, on what's considered human subjects. Um, and it's basically to, to protect them from any type of harm. Um, so it's important. But... Um, yeah, so I, I mean, sorry, I mainly focused on adults because um, having children take photos and going through IRB is is very difficult. You have to get parental permission, and it, it's just I had a hard time getting IRB approval to mm-hmm. do the photo voice project to begin with. So. Yeah, does I wonder if a Snapchat has IRB approval? <laughs> you know, I I tried the the social media thing, and IRB did not buy it. They nope, they did not want anything to do with that. Really? Yeah, yeah I mean. There's several critiques in anthropology of the IRB process, mm-hmm. but you know that that could be a whole yeah. a whole show all on it all on its own. You know, it's yeah. just tumbling down the rabbit hole at that point. We did. I did once do photo voice with kids, but in school, and we basically made returning the camera an assignment. Mm-hmm. So they they would take it to take pictures of their environmental spaces or what they considered the environment. And uh, then they could take the camera home. Parents could sign the consent form, and they had to bring it back. Yeah. So, so I think way, that's a way around, around it, yeah, right? Way because, like, when you bring education in, if it's, like, part of the regular education experience, it's, like, the IRB is a lot more, like, lax about it if it's already sort of a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, yeah, we had you – photo voice is one, one process of engagement. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And how did you – just because it's not a um, 
clearly defined concept, this idea of engagement. I think there's probably different levels and varying degrees. So what was your kind of operationalizing idea? What was your idea of what, what is engagement when you were going out? Okay. You? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So um, within, like, the literature aspect of my research, I found, like, there's kind of, like, three levels of engagement, and that's um, informal engagement, review engagement, and interactive engagement, and each level is a little bit more in-depth than the other. So informal is more, um, more like, when I would go out and just pass out flyers to community residents and just say, hey, these are the events going on in the community. We'd love to see you there. Um, the review... Uh, review engagement is a little bit more in depth where you actually maybe bring uh, community residents into like a community meeting and ask them to voice some of their opinions and ideas. Um, and you take that into consideration with, you know, uh, development and stuff like that. And then, of course, at the interactive level, that's the most in-depth level where you actually have community residents coming together, organizing themselves and, and working together to really create change that they want to see in their community in their own way. Um, and I tried to kind of touch on a little bit of each one of these types of engagement. Of course, um, informal engagement that was going out, passing out flyers. Um, the review um, engagement, there were a number of meetings that the UACDC held, um, you know, for um, different programs and asking for uh, community input, such as the Kaboom uh, Playground Design day um, and some different uh, meetings for uh, different types of art projects that community residents wanted to see in the park and what they wanted, how they want to see that come to fruition and stuff like that. And then um, the interactive engagement um, is, is really, um, I think the best way I really got involved in that is in the University Area Leaders Collective. And this is a really new initiative mm. that's come up in the last year or so from the CDC. Um, and it's a community organization, all community residents, and it's kind of run by community residents. And, well, okay, at this time, I'm kind of running it, um, and my goal is to hand that off to a community resident that takes that on full time. Um, but that kind of plays in that interactive engagement where residents define what problems they have in the community. They define the solutions, and they des they design mm. and run the programs and events that they want to see. Um, and so I kind of tried to put my hands in a little bit of each one of those engagement levels um, just to kind of get a feel and a taste for each one of those and how they function and how they work within the community. Uh, what sort of uh, problems or solutions has that that leadership community already already kind of come up with? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a number of them. Um, I think one of uh, maybe looking at uh, the environmental side, one of them has been uh, poor water quality. Mm -hmm. There's a number of apartment complexes surrounding the uh, uh, surrounding Harvest Hope Park that residents, multiple residents that I've talked to, have made mention about the fact that the the water coming out of the faucet is brown. Um, mm -hmm. It causes rust stains in their tub and in their sinks. They they don't drink the water. They uh, buy bottled water. They don't even cook with the water by boiling it. Um, there have been multiple cases of, of, unfortunately, children and adults missing school and work because they have to go to the hospital for um, health implications from this. They ha they get, like, stomach ulcers, stomach mm -hmm. pains. Um, and so that's kind of been one of the biggest problems um, that's kind of been identified. Some of the other problems are just trying to create uh, activities within the community for youth, uh, a lot of um, of the of the uh, adult residents have identified the fact that there's a lot of youth that kind of they like to stand on the corners or they like you know they they get into some trouble that they yeah, that the adults don't want to see them get into they're, so they're they're idle they're just idle yeah idle hands yeah so they want to give them something to do and one resident mm -hmm. um is from Chicago actually 
Um, and he, when he was in Chicago, there was a program, it's called Night Hoops, and he wants to implement the same program into the, the community, and it's basically a night uh, basketball league, basically, for kids. Mm-hmm. And so instead of kids, you know, being idly standing by mm-hmm. in the evenings, you know, it gives them something to do. They can go be competitive against themselves, get some exercise in, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, and be active. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. So this is, you know, this is eventually going to be all in the in the hands of the community. Yeah, that's that's okay. the goal. You know, right. that's that's really what we try so to do. So was this developed by CDC or was this kind of the community's idea? Um, the Leaders like Collective was um, the CDC's idea. Um, at the same time, when the idea, it's kind of odd because while I was doing my research in this, this collective was being created, there was a lot of residents that I talked to that talked about creating some type of organization in this way. So uh, the residents were already thinking about it, and it may have not been voiced to the CDC, but somehow the CDC just started, it somehow just kind of came together mm. um, in one of those moments. Um, yeah. Great. I think that's um, that's a good place to take a quick music break, and then when we return, we will keep the conversation going stay tuned hey hey welcome back to anthro alerts uh, the show about anthropology and why it matters where we give you the anthropological perspective for pretty much everything today it's the environment environmental justice stuff like that but you're listening to bulls radio wusf 89.7 hc3 tampa 1620 a.m on campus and streaming worldwide at tunein.com and on the TuneIn app available on your mobile device as long as it's smart. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, exactly. So t- today on Anthrolor, we've been talking about, or on this hour of Anthrolor, we've been talking with Gabby Lehigh, master's student here at the University of Department of Anthropology, where the topic of her thesis research is looking at brownfield redevelopment. Brownfield, just an EPA term for polluted, contaminated area, um, in a specific unincorporated area um, kind of here in Hillsborough County, Tampa, right? Very, very much adjacent to the University of South Florida. I could walk there in like maybe 30 or so minutes, you know, 25 of them really flying. Um, yeah, so uh, let's, let's get kind of back into that conversation. Right before we went to break, you were talking about how the, well, the, one of the concerns that the, envir- that the community members have, you were talking about this, this leadership uh, this leadership collective, this leadership council. But one of the concerns that has been expressed is the quality of the water. And um, so I was in um, a, a class earlier, I think this week, where you presented a little bit about this and you showed a map of the different sites that are like EPA sites. So I'm going to say I think like most of them are like contaminated or or some some environmental aspect to them yes yes um and so that my question is in regards to how if the if the residents or if if the residents are living in the area how do they go about getting their water quality tested okay so this is um this is a very difficult water to kind of uh navigate um, no pun intended. Um, but um, because there's a lot of bureaucratic red tape and there's, um, of course, um, when residents do kind of work up the courage to potentially get their water tested, there's always the risk that um, they will be targeted by the management company of their apartment complex and, um, you know, forced to move out um, or something along those lines. So um, thankfully, Christian Wells has been uh, working with um, – 
the UACDC and Community Outreach Coordinator Diana Diaz to kind of help navigate some of those uh, challenges. Um, and and uh, they're kind of in the process in working on getting um, the water tested. Like the UACDC is kind of working as that kind of middleman again, like we talked about a little bit earlier, um, as being the ones to um, create connections with Hillsborough County, you know, water management. Um, and, and what's been happening is... Um, there's been at least, I know, one apartment complex, maybe two now, that a representative from Hillsborough County has come out. And what they do is they test the actual um, the well that goes into the apartment complex. And then um, with resident permission, they actually go in and test the water from the direct tap. And what they're looking for um, are just different levels of iron, um, and chlorine and some other additives, you know, in the water. Um, and although testing is kind of still going on, there has been some. There's there's been some um, evidence so far stating that they, that there's something there's something going on. Um, and so um, I think the next step after that will be kind of nego- will be kind of negotiating between um, residents and the UACDC to determine the best way to go about you know, making change on this. Um, so I think that's going to be a future project for the UACDC. Um, and if anyone's interested, that's definitely probably an available thesis project mm. and would be really, really interesting um, yeah. to look into. You'd think that, you know, the management or the landlords of, you know, of the, the complexes would, I guess, be somewhat liable for, you know, because you said people have gone to the hospital and stuff for these types of issues. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's because it's unincorporated. There's not as much incentive to fix these type of things or um, maybe, I don't know. That might that might be part of it. But um, I think another part of it is most of the managers of these properties, there's no actual physical like leasing office. There's not like an, an office that you can go into and be like, hey, I want to talk to the manager. Um, most of these, the owners of these properties, either they don't even live in Tampa, they may not live in Florida. Some of them may not even live in the United States. Mm-hmm. So um, the ability to go try to find someone and say, hey, I'm going to hold you accountable is is almost non-existent. Wow. Okay, so okay, so I'm hearing that I'm thinking, how is that even possible? Because yeah. they have to they have to pay tax on the property, mm-hmm. so it's not right. like they're anonymous, correct? Right. I t- to me, it's more like a nobody nobody in any position of power is willing to stand up yeah. and do anything, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and actually, Dr. Wells said this um, when uh, when you were both previously on the show back in April 2017, said that it's it's really just a travesty that the USF community. Um, you know, like the University of South. Well, okay, in my opinions. Okay, everything we say on the show, just my opinion here. Okay, that that really we haven't the university community, University of South Florida, haven't really leveraged any political clout to just kind of stand up for the area that the university resides in. Um, and that's just that is really a shame and a travesty. And I'm yeah. hearing this thing and like, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not happy with my where I live in my apartment complex, but I know where they are. I can go walk mm-hmm. over there and, you know, mm-hmm. and just, yeah. At least them, tell them, them about it. I can give them that eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's one of the things, um, a lot of residents that I talked about, they, they say like, there's nobody to go to, Yeah, you know, and which is frustrating. Yeah. And yeah. there's no way to get their voice out there and they, they're very, you know, and then when they do, you know, find somebody to voice their opinion to, you know, once the management company finds out they, you know, out they go, they're on the street and they don't have a place to live again. And so, um, unfortunately, 
um, they have to carry this this environmental and health burden in right. order to you know have a place to live. Well, you're like coercing people into silence at that point, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like if you want to live somewhere besides the street, better keep your mouth shut. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. That's exactly true, you know. And and uh, you you hear about oh, you know, the United States of America, fantastic, wonderful country. Well, you know, try try telling that to everybody that lives here. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there's definitely. Not everything is rainbows and sunshine. Absolutely not. Um, Except on the days here in Tampa, after it rains and you're looking, <laughs> then and it definitely there's is plenty of sun. Yeah, plenty, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, then summers. it definitely is rainbows and sunshine. Summers in July is, no wait, summers in Tampa, there we go. Yeah, absolutely correct. <laughs> so we actually got a Twitter question. We're going to go ahead and throw that out here now. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to paraphrase it. Um, how do you... So, Gabby, how do you ensure, or I guess in general, how do you ensure community partners are meaningfully engaged in research and don't feel studied, especially because of academic demands for publication? Uh, That's a really great question. And um, like everything else in anthropology, I want to say it's complicated. Yeah, it depends. (laughs) Um, That's definitely a big onion to kind of peel apart and unpack. Um, But with... I think part of the value in working with the UACDC is the fact that I am kind of integrated, so I don't feel like I'm just like an outsider just looking in. I'm I'm integrated. I'm participating in their events. Um, at the same time, like negotiating that positionality as an anthropologist can be very challenging because um, I there were times where I I did find myself really just wrapped up in in. Um, in, in, I, in all like the really positive aspects, like, oh, this is all really great. This is all really wonderful. And then and then having to, you know, go home and take a step back and be like, oh, you know, there, there are some things going on here that I kind of need to uh, remember. So it's, it's really a rough terrain to negotiate. Um, I think as an anthropologist, one of the best ways to kind of, you know, navigate that is to really constantly focus on my positionality and question you know where do I stand where do I think I should stand and 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 thankfully within the um the department you know I there's plenty of resources that I can do go to and say hey this is some of the feelings that I have with you know doing this project and I'm not sure where I should be and where you know how I should feel about some of these things so mm-hmm. it, it's it's rough waters to navigate but um you know really turning in on on self-reflexivity and um and reaching out to department resources has been mm. a huge, um, you know, resource in, in that. Did you get any uh, pushback <laughs> at all from the community as being a student out there, <laughs> you know, wanting to do a project? Um, <laughs> so, uh, thankfully, I do have to say the UACDC kind of pretty much welcomed me with open arms. Um, I'm, there's been a lot of research in the community. It's a, it's, it's a very, I want to say... Um, I don't, I don't know if over-researched is the correct word, but there is a lot, a lot of research that goes on in this area. So, because, oh, so like what kind? Um, there's been research in the, in, from anthropology in the past. There's also, um, I think, like urban planning and development has, you know, students in that sure, area. Sure, like environmental engineering. Yeah, stuff, environmental, kind yeah, of kind of like all those different kind of fields have kind of had a hand in it at some point. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times you might see things like survey fatigue and residents, you know, or, yeah. you know, they don't want to talk to you because they've talked to 10 million other people about the same issue before. And every yeah. time they talk about it, nothing happens. Um, so that can be frustrating sometimes. 
there are some times where you get disgruntled residents in the community um, that do not want to uh, talk to you or um, there have been a few instances where I'm just like, I don't really feel comfortable being in the community, honestly. Um, And then on the opposite side of that, you have residents that are so open and welcoming. And there's even a particular resident now, he calls me like his sister and he's like, he's like, he feels like one of my best friends. Like his daughter's like, it's almost like a, a big family. Now you start feeling this community kind of family sense. Um, so there's been a little bit of both in that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I imagine that's probably a pretty like normal experience to have in the field, right? It's probably not going to be, everyone hates you or everyone loves you. It's going to be a lot of that like middle ground type type area, which I haven't experienced yet because I haven't started my research, but <laughs> not only that, shortly. But, but I think honestly, everybody likes you. Yeah. So, so you've never had that. that issue. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. you're not the most hated anthropologist. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. Um, so I guess we can uh, talk about what were some of the other aspects of your project. So I, I know that you were mainly focused on the community engagement aspect, but what other kind of did you have any other questions that you're kind of looking at? I mean, because you had to write a whole thesis about this, right? <laughs> so I'm sure there's probably other some some side tangents going on there. Um, yeah, there were, um, some different things. Um, thankfully kind of like my project kind of ran parallel to, uh, the EPA, uh, area wide planning grant that Christian was awarded. Mm. Um, so there was, um, within that project, there's a, uh, health impact assessment and environmental, environmental impact assessment, economic impact assessment and social impact assessment. So kind of drawing from those, um, there were some different health things that kind of came out, some different social things that came out. The biggest social thing was really the the community building. Um, but looking at some of the health um, things, um, there was a lot of things that came about in some of the meetings on the health impact assessment that I never really thought about. Um, you know, an example is, you know, this park sounds so great that it's being redeveloped and infrastructure is going to be there. Um but one of the things that was identified in this assessment that I didn't consider was the fact that maybe there's going to be increased traffic. And with increased traffic, you're going to have um, a higher load of particulate matter within the air. And then you have, um, you know, residents breathing that in and, and possibly having, you know, health problems related to respiratory problems, asthma, um, mm-hmm. those kinds mm-hmm. of issues. So it, it's really interesting to kind of navigate those pathways of trying to figure out, like, you know, like again in that positionality of you know thinking like oh this is really great for the community but then kind of taking a step back and being like okay well what are some of the negative you know impacts of this too and and how do we combat some of those issues Mm. i think we're uh we're gonna stop there and take one more short music break so stay tuned welcome back listeners welcome back listeners you're listening to bulls radio wsf 89.7 hd3 tampa 1620 a.m on campus and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. This is Anthro Alert, where you get to listen to and enjoy and hear about all the wonderful, fantastic things that are happening in the world of mostly USF, but anthropology around the planet, mostly in Tampa sometimes. But uh, today, our guest Gabby is a uh, master's student here at the University of South Florida, where her research is looking at... Uh, community engagement, environmental development, environmental as- some aspects of environmental justice. Um, and we've been talking now for close to approaching two hours. Um, this is, this yep. is practically a thesis defense. <laughs> you know, no need yep. 
no need to sit at uh, another committee meeting, kind of, you know, presenting, we got it all covered. presenting your research. We, we've got it done <laughs> here for you. Just submit the tape. Um, if I, we can make a tape, I guess, if you want. It's not a thing anymore. <laughs> but, but submit, the, just give them the tape and say it's over, you know, drop the, the mic and, and, and walk, just walk out. out. Um, all right. So really the, the, one of the last questions that we have in regards to this thesis project, your, your project with the CDC, um, the University Area Community Development Corporation here in um, Tampa University area, is to really kind of ask what are what are some of maybe the other findings and goals? You know, just this, let's just wrap this one up and let's let's move on. And let's okay. What else we got? All right. All right. Um, so within my thesis, um, I um, you know I obviously do you know the general analysis of data and stuff and then I actually include a, a very a specific section on um, recommendations to the community development center um, but just kind of highlighting some of the main findings um, looking at kind of um, the structure of the UACDC I kind of evaluate in a sense you know the strength of the UACDC and, and based on my experience there I found you know they're a very strong organization if, if they weren't they wouldn't be around at 20 years now um, they have a very strong mission they have a very strong board of directors um, and, and I think overall their hearts are really in the right place in trying to uh, do the right thing for the community um, at the same time, my findings also reveal that there's there's a struggle between this authoritarian, this like authoritative kind of knowledge, um, and kind of sense of control by the UACDC over um, you know community redevelopment. And and I can give an example of that by um, by looking at the community garden. Uh, the community gardens like open to residents; they can come and participate and help uh, you know um, you know weed and, and harvest and everything like that. Um, but oddly enough, even though this is a community, you know, space for residents, there's actually this very large fence that goes around it. Um, you know, it's I, I wouldn't want to climb over it. It doesn't look very comfortable. But, and it really restricts access to it. So uh, so on the one hand, you have the UACDC, you know, um, trying to, you know, redevelop a space for the community, which is great. But at the same time, you still have, like, kind of these authoritarian controlling measures over um, how it's used and how it's implemented within the mm. community. So um, it, it, my research kind of, as in-depth as it feels to me, it's still very so It's very on the surface still. Um, and I hope that someone else really does take over maybe this research. They don't have to do exactly what I did. But it, it'd be really nice to see someone else come in and um, do some more in-depth research on this. Um, I think it'd be really great to really look at those that power relationship and those power structures. Mm. Oh yeah, so the, the anthropology of the um, there's a specific term for that, but it's like like anthropology of the uh, uh, I'm gonna just not get it right, but anthropology <laughs> of the above. Yeah, yeah like studying up. Studying, studying up. Yeah, there we studying go. Up. Studying up. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. So, well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully somebody's gonna hear this. You know, some aspirational undergraduate or. Uh, Pro, um, some of those uh, graduate students oh, yes. that were at the open yeah. house yesterday. So, yeah. so a prospective graduate yeah, student recruit somebody because uh, I think environmental anthropology is like one of our larger areas. I would say of like because we have a lot of archaeology, but I would say a lot of like environmental, like cultural type mm -hmm. interests as well. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Wells is a powerhouse in that yeah. area. Oh, yes. He does. Um, yeah. I mean, he's he's director of that institute. Yeah, um, definitely. And, okay, so Gabby, enough about that. Really, you know, it's it's all good. It's all good and all, but we now that you're going to be graduating very very soon, perhaps like almost too soon. What's <laughs> like what's happening next for, for you? Um, what's it look like? 
Yeah. So I have applied for the PhD program um, for anthropology here at USF. What? Yes. High five. All right, all right. Yeah. So you are a prospective student. Yes, yeah. I am a future prospective student. Um, and, um, I mean, the goal is to get in. That'd be really great. Right. Um, yeah. and, and with that, um, I think I want to shift my research focus a little bit. I still want to focus on environment. Um and probably much to the dismay of my parents and my boyfriend, I'd really like to um, travel to Malawi. I actually traveled to Malawi about two years ago. I did a, a summer field school there. And I researched um, gray water reuse practices and, and uh, kind of explanatory models of why two people, you know, residents and uh, villages chose to reuse gray water or not. So real quick, what's an explanatory model? Okay, good question. Um, explanatory model is, is literally, you know, why, you know, the reasoning inside, you know, um, people's minds, you know, why they choose to do things or why they choose not to do things. And uh, anthropology kind of looks at, at those models to kind of understand larger patterns and populations. Mm. Just out of curiosity, did you only apply to USF for PhD <laughs> or are you looking at maybe other places as well? Um, I only applied to USF. Um, okay. Just because just I... Just you love it so much here? <laughs> okay, that is, yeah, well, that's one thing. Um, I, I mean, I mean, just, I'm sorry to interrupt. Just, really to, like, it makes sense because, right. I mean, really, coursework-wise, you got, like, another year. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, if that, because I'm sure, yeah. uh, like, who knows what transfers. I'm sure, like, yeah. everything transfers, right? Yeah, practically, and so, yeah. And so you need maybe, like, advanced quantitative research methods, and, you know, that's it. Like, yeah. okay, right. here you go, PhD, good job. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's, like, a couple core classes I take, and, you know, of course, you have to go through qualifying exams. And, which, know. which to me are terrifying. Like I looked up what those are because, and I've known a few PhD students that have gone through them, and it just terrifies me. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, like, honestly, the whole graduate experience uh, for me has been terrifying because yeah. I'm, I'm a first grad, uh, first generation college student, oh, okay. and no one in my family has done you know graduate school or right, anything right here, like that. Right here, I hear you. So, um, so this has been, um, it's definitely a learning experience. And so there's all, I mean, I didn't even know what qualifying exams were when I first came to USF. I didn't know that was like part of your PhD program. So it's definitely a learning experience. Um, yeah. but I'm also really excited. Uh, I really, this is a pretty big goal for me. Um, yeah, I really want to do this, you know, for myself and for my family. And, um, and that's something that's really important to me, but I, I kind of chose to stay here at USF number because it, you know, kind of logistically makes sense. Sure. Um, and then on top of it, like Christian Wells and the department have just been so extremely supportive of my current research. Um, and I know that no matter what I choose to do in my future research, which hopefully I would really like to go back to Malawi. Um, I know that, you know, the, the faculty and the department's going to have my back here too. Mm. So post PhD doing like the professor thing or maybe trying to, <laughs> to go outside of oh, academia? Um, or have you even thought that far ahead? <laughs> um, I try, I want to think that far ahead, but it's so hard because you never know what's going to come I up. I mean, things change, right? Yeah. Um, I guess my ultimate goal is I definitely, I'm from Pennsylvania, so I definitely want to move back to Pennsylvania, you know. Mm. Uh, my family lives there, and that's, like, life for me. Um, mm. um, but I I really like the aspect of, of research, um, despite the challenges that it brings. Um, sometimes it's, anthropology is a very emotional yeah. and complicated um, research area, mm. but that's also kind of what really... Um, attracts me to it because mm. I can feel very passionate and I can be emotionally involved and, and be okay with that. Um, and 
try to kind of negotiate that with, um, you know, the ethics of research and anthropology. Um, so I think I'd really like to kind of go in the direction of research, but I'm definitely also open to kind of, you know, doing the PhD teacher, you know, doctorate kind of uh, teaching track too, um, especially because I just, you know, um, I think it'd be really fun um, to inspire, you know, young anthropologists and, and guide them along the way. Shaping on their own young minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to, I mean, if not you, then who? Yeah, right, exactly. Right? I mean, you, yeah, I mean, um, that's, that's just like in general, uh, just like a general question that doesn't necessarily apply only to practicing or teaching anthropology, but just like as, as a human being that lives as part of a larger human being community, you know, like what, what, res- what are you responsible, what are you ultimately responsible for and how do you use your existence to facilitate that, you know, how, yeah. that's big how do you question. Think, how do you think make things better? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a pretty big question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just rhetorical, hypothetical. Right. Not necessarily right. need to answer it, but it's just um, something, to, just think something to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think about it. Mm-hmm. Definitely is, yeah. I think it's about time to wrap up the show for this week. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay, so... Um, Gabby, I just want to say actually congratulations. Like I said, yeah. you know, if mm-hmm. if you can if you can, you know, spend like two hours here on uh, on the live Bulls Radio with us, um, essentially defending your thesis, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure a PhD program is not going to be too much trouble because um, for the uh, many people that I'm sure that are tuning in right now are uh, on tune in. <laughs> Are you know, they really got a really good understanding of what it means to apply anthropology towards understanding larger environmental issues and how they affect people, and the different ways that anthropology can 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 advocate not only on the behalf of people but also just to under to better understand what's going on and and why it's even important to attempt to understand those things because like you know like you said you know if not you then who i mean ultimately we we do have some responsibility as a global as as being a global citizen to just you know ask ask questions and mm. try to figure out the the nitty gritty of what's happening in everyday life for people because a lot of things happen at a at a very broad policy level that have often unforeseen um, consequences mm-hmm. that um, I feel in many times they, they could have been prevented had they just took some time to ask some questions, you know, mm-hmm. like, like uh, oh, yeah, well, we're going to redevelop this area. Um, do you have questions? Or we're going to change the bus route here. Do you, do you have any questions about that? Oh, well, nobody nobody showed up because it's pouring out. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, other times, oh, we're going to put in a bike lane. We're going to do it this way. Uh, this is just an informational meeting just so you know. Uh, we already decided everything. It's just a lot of that stuff that typically happens mm-hmm. at the city government or at the at the government level. And uh, uh, not to say that I'm like anti-government. I'm a big fan of government. Um, right. There's always just, things that can be improved, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Right. exactly. Always looking at improvement. Always looking at how. I mean, you can just make things better. I think it's important. Yeah. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. we, you know, many people just will settle. Oh, it's not a big deal. How does that affect me personally? I don't know, but. Um, Hey, Gabby. So, again, just thank you so much, you know, coming out on the show. Um, you, I don't know. Do you have any shout-outs for us? Um, to your, your bunny? 
Yeah, um, I'm going to, I think my parents are listening on this, so I'll give them a shout out and a big thank you for always supporting me, even if you don't know what I'm really doing all the time. (laughs) Um, And of course, a shout out to uh, probably one of my biggest supporters is uh, my boyfriend, Jarrett. He um, always supporting me through the sleepless nights and multiple meetings and everything else that constantly just randomly pops up. And of course, um, a final shout out to my little bunny rabbit. His name is Nibbles. Um, and he's my little baby, my little fur baby. Awesome. So Nibbles, you're out there. Thank you for, <laughs> for tuning in and supporting, uh, Being anthropology so students everywhere. Yeah. Yep. All right. So that's all we have for this week. Um, be sure to check us out on anthroalert.com. Uh, you can contact us there. Also, um, you can hit us up on Twitter. We are on Facebook. You can listen to prior episodes both on our website and on YouTube at AnthroAlert. And until next week, um, take it easy. Have a nice weekend. Yeah, stay tuned, everybody.